0: From The Daily Oz, my name is Billy Fitzsimons and this is No Silly Questions. Today we're covering more of the basics in the lead up to the federal election which is getting closer and closer. We're about 18 days away now which is crazy. It is creeping up on us. As always I am joined by Tom Crowley, political journalist at The Daily Oz and election enthusiast.
1: I am certainly an enthusiast, Billy. I'm brimming with enthusiasm. It's election season. It's exciting. There's only three weeks left.
0: I'm sure everyone finds it as exciting as
1: us. I'm sure they do.
0: And if not, it's our job to make sure you're so excited. So Tom, we're doing something a little different today. We've been talking in general about politics and the political system, of course, but today we're going to bring together some of those things we've talked about in previous episodes and use them to talk about this election campaign we're in right now. So what's the plan today?
1: So our question today is what happens if nobody wins the election? Um, And and to do that, we're going to revisit, I suppose, one of our favourite topics on No Silly Questions, the House of Representatives. We've talked about it a lot. We know it's the place where government is formed. We know we're aiming for 76 seats out of 151 to get there. We've talked a little bit about the question of what happens if nobody gets to that magic 76. But today we thought it'd be worth looking a little closer at that for the very good reason that it could happen it looks a very real possibility that there will be no clear winner from this election. And so we figure it's something you might have been hearing about and maybe wondering about. So today uh, we're going to set out to, to try and give you the answers.
0: OK, so for your 60 second overview, can you refresh us on how government is actually formed and what happens if, as, as you said, nobody wins?
1: Alright, so House of Representatives, the place full of 151 local representatives who collectively decide who forms the government. It's got a voting system based on preferences and it tends to favour the bigger parties, which is why it's usually dominated by Labor and the Coalition. Now, quite often, one of them gets to a majority 76 seats by themselves and forms government by themselves. We're kind of used to that. I think we take it for granted a bit, but it doesn't always happen. If neither major party gets to 76, they need to... To make up those extra numbers by doing a deal with the crossbench so that's minor parties independents anyone who gets a seat who's not a major and the goal is to get enough of these cross to guarantee supply which really just means agree to let you be the government How does that work? It depends. There aren't any formal rules and that's what we want to zoom in on a bit today. What we've seen in the past is negotiations, where the crossbenchers will ask for particular policies to change or for other things to change in exchange for their support, but that support isn't binding. You might be able to get enough to agree to form a government, but if they change their minds, it's all over. So in that sense, this sort of minority government environment is a lot more precarious. And if they can't agree, if no party can manage to cobble together 76, this might sound kind of insane. Even for an election enthusiast, this sounds a bit exhausting. We would have to go back to the polls and run the election all over again. That could be the territory we find ourselves in this time.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this election campaign specifically. I feel like I've heard the word independence a lot more than in previous election campaigns. Do you think that there's a decent chance of no major party winning a majority government this time?
1: I think there is a bit of a chance, yeah. And and I think this is a real possibility this time, in part because of what you're saying there about the independence. Let's kind of talk about the, the scoreboard a little bit, where the parties are at in terms of the numbers of seats that they have now, just to give us a little bit of a sense of how this is balanced. So the coalition's on basically sort of 76 at the moment. So they're right, right right on the line there in terms of having a majority. They don't have much room to fall back. But Labor's quite a bit behind on 68, so it's not hard to imagine a scenario where the Coalition loses a few seats, Labor gains a few, but nobody gets to 76, and that's where this kind of crossbench comes into play, even before we get to any of the new independents. You know, imagine Labor takes four off the Coalition. You then get to about 72-72, And the current crossbench comes into play. But as you say, we're hearing more and more about all of these independents that are threatening traditionally safe seats, particularly um, coalition seats. There are a number of high profile independents running in um, what we say are traditionally safe liberal seats, often kind of areas that have never voted for anything other than the Liberal Party. They're often kind of quite affluent well-off areas um, but where there are increasingly concerns about in particular climate change and government integrity they seem to be things that are striking a chord in these seats and party insiders are suggesting that there are sort of at least four seats maybe even more than that that might have a good chance of falling so a couple of them are in sydney and a couple of them are in melbourne we're looking then at a decent likelihood you know even more if, if, if some of those seats fall ending up in this hung parliament territory which is this territory where nobody gets to 76 and where we have this kind of I guess uncharted waters of negotiation with a whole bunch of different independents and crossbenchers playing a role in deciding then which party gets over the line to 76 or does anyone get over the line to 76? That, that, that's really kind of something I think that is a live possibility.
0: So it does look like it's a real possibility. So say we do end up with a hung parliament. There's a whole range of independents who could get in. Have many of them given an indication of who they'll side with between the Labor or Liberal Party?
1: No, they have not. And it's, uh, I think, very difficult to to see exactly what could happen if we end up in that scenario this time. Um, it's really anyone's guess. And, of course, it, you know, it's hard to make predictions about this kind of thing because we don't know exactly where the numbers are. If one party gets to 74 or 75 then it's pretty easy. you just got to get one or two of these crossbenchers to get yourself over the line. But if both of them are a fair way back, then it's kind of harder for either of them. So that's a little bit of a, a cop-out. I'll see if I can say something a bit more specific about what could happen this time. Firstly, there are a couple of people already in the parliament who are probably more likely on balance to support Labor. So in particular, the Greens, um, Adam Bant is in the House of Representatives, He's likely to be back there again. Um, They might certainly have some concessions that they ask of from Labor, but it's very unlikely. Um, And, in fact, I think they've ruled out ever working with the coalition. Um, There are a couple of other independents who are more likely to go in the Labor column. But these new independents who are challenging um, Liberals in Liberal-held seats... It's a little bit of a trickier one for them because on the one hand, they are running on climate change and they're very critical of the Liberal Party's policies on climate change. But on the other hand, they're going to be representing areas that have often voted Liberal for for decades and have never elected Labor MPs. And so that puts them in a difficult position and, you know, might make it difficult for them to kind of naturally align themselves with Labor. But then at the same time, um, they'd want some pretty significant concessions on climate policy from the coalition if they were going to give them their support. And it's there where it gets a little tricky. Um, for anyone who's sort of followed the, the climate wars, if you like, in Australian politics over the last few years, there are a lot of people within the coalition and particularly the Nationals Party who have tended to be really resistant about stronger climate change policies and that's still the case. And so if the Liberals are sort of caught between this rock and a hard place trying to negotiate with these independents and make some concessions, then maybe they risk losing the support of the Nationals. That, that coalition that the Nationals and the Liberals have, it's not automatic the nationals can decide if they're not happy that they walk away from that. And so it's quite possible that if we end up in this position where Labor can't win over enough of the crossbench, but then the the coalition can't quite get itself together on a, on a climate policy, that, that it can get these very different... Um, groups of people to agree on, then we might be in this territory, as I sort of suggested before, where we have to go back to the polls. And that would be pretty exhausting for for everybody um, if that were to happen. But um, it is quite possible. It's quite possible that nothing um, formal comes out of this. Because again, these negotiations, there aren't really any rules. Um, There's nothing that sort of says that there has to be a way to cobble together a majority of 76. It's quite possible it all falls apart. No one can get it done. And we all have to vote again.
0: I'm sure that is music to our listeners ears that we could go through this whole thing again if it that does will, happen it would test
1: even my enthusiasm Billy I think <laughs> I might lose my mind if that happens
0: but the last time there was a hung parliament was in 2010 with the government formed by Julia Gillard and a theme in what we're talking about here is that minority governments are pretty unstable and pretty shaky is that the case Tom?
1: Tricky question. 2010 is a really interesting example to look back on. Um, So we didn't end up having to go to another election there. Um, We ended up in this negotiation territory. And after days and days and days of negotiations, it was in the end Julia Gillard and, and the Labor government that managed to get support from enough of the crossbench to form a minority government. And it held pretty stable for, for that full term. It was a real challenge for the Gillard government because they were constantly, I guess, like, these crossbenchers end up with a whole lot of power, right? They can basically take down the government on any individual policy issue. But they managed to hold it together and, generally speaking, um, they managed to sort of, you know, get a lot of legislation through the parliament and, and they survived at least until... Um, the the next election uh, when they lost, um, but they did manage to serve a a full three-year term, that Labor government. So it is possible that you can kind of make this work, but of course it requires, I mean, just just by listening to the nature of that, requires so much more kind of compromise. It's not always as simple as that. So in the last term, um, the coalition has had a majority but there have been these sort of constant threats from people on the fringes of the Liberal Party saying they'll go to the crossbench. So it's not this sort of clear cut, you know, minority government means disaster, majority government means stability. Um, You know, these things are always more complicated than that.
0: And so why is it important for our listeners to know this? How should people think about this when they vote?
1: Yeah, I I think the key thing here is to, to understand this process and particularly if you're in a seat where, there are kind of independents or minor parties that are considered to be in the running. Um, to, to, I guess, sort of reflect on that, and, and, I mean, as usual, you know, I think you've got to keep it pretty simple with your vote. You, you vote for candidates that reflect your values. But just sort of understanding a little bit about what this road ahead looks like and, and looking in particular when you're voting for candidates, whether they're major parties or whether they're minor parties in independence, asking the question of, well, you know, if you end up in this in this territory of negotiations, you know, who are you going to side with? What are you going to push for? Um, that's all part of informing yourself about kind of, you know, what are the candidates that you're voting stand for? It's an important and legitimate question to, to ask. Understandably, a lot of the politicians are saying, oh, that's a hypothetical and they don't want to get into it now. Um, but, yeah, just thinking through carefully kind of, you know what what this looks like and and thinking about the candidates in your area and who you want to be um, to be there for those sorts of negotiations
0: all right i think that's all we have time for we have learned that it's not impossible that we could have a second election this year i hope that that doesn't happen for the sake of you and i tom and also <laughs> for our listeners sake thanks tom thank you and thank you so much for listening to this episode of no silly questions we will be back on thursday but in the meantime if you have enjoyed this episode we would will- love if you could leave us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify or send it to a friend so they can be informed too in the lead up to the election. Thanks so much.